This podcast was sponsored by the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition. My name is Clay Maitland. I'm chairman of the MMPC, which was formed in order to support the U.S. flag Merchant Marine. We hope you enjoy the uh, podcast and welcome your comments and suggestions. After the cargo ship El Faro sank during a hurricane, killing all on board, attention quickly turned to its sister ship for clues. El Yunque was a year younger at the time of the incident, and it was nearly identical, so investigators could learn a lot from the vessel. Coast Guard inspectors also went on board after the sinking. Records show they didn't like many of the things they found, including what they described as severe shortfalls in maintenance. But this ship had been inspected only months before. In fact, Coast Guard records show at least five inspector visits to the vessel in the year before El Faro went down. How did this happen? Why did these shortfalls only come to light after 33 seafarers died in this tragedy? This is The Sunken Lighthouse, a podcast by the shipping newspaper Tradewinds and sponsored by the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition, exploring the October 2015 sinking of El Faro during Hurricane Joaquin. We've been looking into this casualty in detail as two U.S. agencies carry out lengthy investigations into what happened on this ship. And today, we're going to explore the inspections that were intended to ensure that this vessel, whose name means the lighthouse in Spanish, was safe enough to head out into the stormy waters of the Atlantic. How do you know that a ship is safe? We don't just trust that the companies that own the thousands of ships out on the oceans are operating them in the safest way possible, keeping them in tip-top shape. Lives are at stake. The environment is at stake. Part of the answer is inspections, and in international shipping there are three key layers of defense. First, there's the flag state inspection. That's the one carried out by the country where a ship is registered, the flag that it flies. Then there's the port state control inspection. Ships that call in the port of another country are inspected by that country, and they can be detained until they fix any problems found. And then there's the classification society. That's the organization that carries out inspections so a ship owner can tell the companies that it does business with that its ship is safe enough. But the application of these layers of inspection varies. In the case of El Faro, you can forget about port state control inspections. This is a U.S. flagged ship that only traveled between U.S. ports. This is Brian Starr, a lawyer at Squire Patton Boggs, who has handled the legal aspects of many shipping incidents. In most situations on international voyages, you'd, you'd have uh, uh, hopefully three, three different sets of eyes. You'd have, uh, you'd have port state control, you'd have the flag state, and you'd have the classification society. So in, uh, right away when you go to a Jones Act vessel, uh, one drops out, that being port state. Since El Faro was under the U.S. flag, flag state inspections are the responsibility of the Coast Guard, which is certainly well regarded for the rigor of its inspections. But El Faro was enrolled in a special arrangement called the Alternate Compliance Program. Under this scheme, the Coast Guard delegates much of its inspection authority to the Classification Society, in this case, a nonprofit known as the American Bureau of Shipping. But for ABS, as it's known, El Faro's owner, Tote Maritime, is a paying customer. Can this system really work? 
for a 40-year-old ship? Before we explore that question, an update on the investigation. The U.S. Coast Guard and National Transportation Safety Board are continuing their investigations into the loss of this ship. The NTSB recently released a mountain of new data on El Faro's loss, including a transcript of the recordings of bridge conversations in the ship's final 26 hours. In Tradewinds, we've already reported that the transcripts show that the sinking came after a series of problems developed on the ship as it approached Hurricane Joaquin, and it showed that two officers recommended a course change to the captain, a course change that would take them away from the storm. We'll be digging into this new data and provide a detailed narrative of what happened in later episodes of this podcast. Tradewinds has been setting the maritime agenda for over 25 years, providing unrivaled news, opinion, and intelligence by the best reporters, analysts, and opinion shapers in the business. With over 48,000 global readers, we're shipping's most successful news service with quality and insight that simply can't be found anywhere else. Our media channels include the weekly newspaper, online news, business focuses, the TW Plus Quarterly Magazine, events, and the Tradewinds app. Check us out at tradewindsnews.com. When Alfaro sank, its inspection record looked good. Coast Guard data showed it passed its inspections with no deficiencies for more than two years prior to the incident. As I mentioned, the ship was part of the Alternate Compliance Program, or ACP. It's a voluntary program that allows U.S. flagged ships to receive their certificate of inspection by complying with the standards of an approved classification society. In part, that's a cost-saving measure for the Coast Guard, which has a lot of other jobs to do. After all, the approved classification society's rules follow international standards that have a lot of overlap with U.S. safety rules and no flag state is really able to carry out all of its own inspections anyway. Ship owners prefer the program too, with most ocean-going vessels in the U.S. flag participating. Here's John Hannon, the U.S. Coast Guard's program manager for commercial vessel compliance, as he spoke before a hearing in the investigation into El Faro's sinking. Well, the program was intended to be to achieve an equivalent level of safety using a different standard. So the ACP program is really two pieces, if you will. It is ACP, the standard, which is not the regulatory standard in the CFR that we had been using. So it is a combination of the classification society rules, the international regulations, and then any supplemental items that the Coast Guard decided to keep, which are uh, some things that are unique to the United States, some things that are interpretations of the international regulations and some things that are uh, variants of what the classification society rules are. And then there's ACP, the inspection program. So ACP is then executed through surveys that are carried out by the class societies using the standards that were agreed upon uh, for the alternate compliance program. And then the Coast Guard carries out oversight of the activities of the class societies to ensure that they comply with the agreement. And then also, uh, we do our own onboard verification of the vessels. So it's a layered approach of standards, survey, and oversight. 
Now, classification societies are organizations, often non-profits, that date way back to the 1700s, when there weren't so many regulations for shipping. They began as a way for a shipowner's commercial partners, like insurers, to have a third-party assessment of the quality of a vessel before a voyage. Class, as it's known in the shipping business, sets technical standards for ship construction and operation. Class societies verify ships' structural strength and the integrity and reliability of the important parts of a vessel. They set their own rules that shipowners have to comply with to remain under their classification, but they also verify compliance with the rules of international and government bodies that regulate shipping. While American Bureau of Shipping has competition, the Houston Classification Society is by far the biggest participant in this alternate compliance program. We invited ABS for an interview for this program, but the Classification Society declined. ABS's surveyors gave El Faro its last annual survey in early 2015, but were back on board the vessel several times throughout the year. On January 19th, a survey checked the emergency generator, steering gears, and lube oil pumps, among other machinery, and had no concerns. A few days later, a surveyor carried out a hull survey. An NTSB report says this inspector checked handrails, welding on the decks, ventilation ducts, the giant cargo doors on the ship, and the vessel's book for tracking stability, among other things. The report noted a few problems. There was some wastage on a drainage plug in the storeroom, and the coating on the ballast tanks, those are the tanks used to take on or release water to help stability, were in poor condition. A few days later, a surveyor arrived for another look at the ballast tank coating and found that parts of the frame around the tank had become disconnected from its top and needed repair. But Tote, El Faro's owner, didn't have to make any repairs immediately. That could wait until the next time El Faro was required to go into dry dock, which wasn't due until February of 2016. A few weeks down the road, the Coast Guard gave the ship a certificate of inspection in San Juan, Puerto Rico, at the other end of its regular route. Four Coast Guard inspectors carried out the check. The lead inspector, Jerry McMillan, had 22 years of experience and described the four-person group as his A-team. A machinery inspector, Chief Warrant Officer Andrew Schock, had even more experience at the Coast Guard, but though he was sent down to check the engine room, he didn't have the papers yet to inspect steam propulsion like El Faro's. He had gone through virtually all the steps to get that qualification, but was not yet officially certified, which he and Macmillan said was a result of a lack of funding in San Juan to send him to carry out the final step in the process. Schock told investigators that under the ACP program, the rules don't require that he have that qualification to carry out the inspection of the steam propulsion system, and Macmillan assured them that Shock knew what he was doing. Now remember, these Coast Guard inspections are more limited for a ship in the ACP program than they would be for a vessel not enrolled in the program. Because after all, ABS had already carried out much of the inspection on its own. Macmillan told investigators that annual inspections typically took four hours for ships in the ACP program. If the Coast Guard had to check everything that ABS was checking, it would take one to two days, and Classification Society surveyors can do their work while the vessel is moving. So you can see why a busy ship owner would want to be in the ACP program. 
The lead inspector told investigators that Tote's ships were in good condition compared to other vessels that inspectors see in San Juan. Jacques contrasted Tote's ships to the less well-maintained container ships of former rival Horizon Lines. Tote's vessels, he said, were kept in better shape. They were kept up like a classic car. The equipment on El Faro was in good condition, and Tote was putting in all the necessary efforts to maintain it, even though it was about to be replaced by a shiny new ship. The crew was well-trained and performed well in safety drills carried out in front of inspectors. The officials even went so far as to say that Tote seemed to take pride in its safety culture. Here's McMillan at the investigative hearing. Everything looked like it was in good condition. It's an older vessel, but uh, it looked like everything was uh, being maintained. The Coast Guard inspectors declared El Faro, quote, fit for route and service. I've been covering the U.S. Coast Guard for some time, and U.S. authorities regularly detain vessels for failures. And I've even heard the horror stories. What Coast Guard inspectors and ABS surveyors told investigators they found on El Faro is, is not one of those horror stories by a long shot. Inspectors did find a steering problem on El Faro, but Tote repaired it quickly. An ABS surveyor checked on the repairs in March of 2015, and the Classification Society was back on the ship in April to check on repairs to the drainage plug in the ship's storeroom. Then in June, ABS carried out a machinery survey. No deficiencies found there. Finally, an ABS surveyor returned on September 8, 2015, less than a month before the sinking. Crew members had begun noticing leaks in the economizer, which helps keep the efficiency of the boiler, and Tote carried out repairs by installing temporary tubing. An ABS surveyor checked out the work and found no problems with it. Later, there was a related problem for which ABS was not yet called out. In July, the chief engineer had raised concerns about failing brickwork and problems with tubing around El Faro's boiler. This is a 40-year-old ship that is steam-powered, after all. Tote called Wallasek, a Virginia company that specializes in such boilers. An NTSB report noted that the boiler inspector checked out the vessel on September 11, 2015. The inspector that came out, according to an NTSB report, had no certifications to inspect this boiler, but had years of on-the-job experience, and he also saw damage. He checked only one of two boilers. After all, the ship could only shut down one at a time because it was traveling from Puerto Rico to Florida at the time of the inspection, but he assumed that both had the same problems. He highly recommended that repairs be carried out, but they could wait a few months, at least until a planned shipyard visit in November. It sank in October, so those repairs would never happen. In all these inspections, there was one thing that wasn't checked. Neither the U.S. Coast Guard nor ABS had the ship's open lifeboats lowered down to the water. Now, remember, these boats would not be allowed anyway on a newer ship, which are required to have fully enclosed lifeboats and a Coast Guard inspector said they weren't fully deployed during the inspection to protect the safety and crew. People are known to get hurt when they're tested, after all. Now, as we look into the inspections by the U.S. Coast Guard and ABS, we have to put it into context. The Coast Guard detains plenty of ships for safety concerns. 
Data from 2015 showed that the ratio of ships that the agency holds up for safety reasons has been steadily increasing, topping 2% for the first time since 2008. The U.S. flag is on the white list of the Paris MOU, an organization set up by an international agreement that tracks the safety performance of ships and that also keeps a gray list and a black list for countries whose shipping flags have more problematic safety records. Ships flying the U.S. flag have fewer detentions per inspection than nearly two-thirds of other flag states. But there's still room for improvement. In the 2015 rankings, 23 flag states perform better than the U.S. flag, including what are known as open registries like the Marshall Islands, Bermuda, and Liberia. ABS's record is even better relative to its competitors. Data from the Paris MOU and even the U.S. Coast Guard put it at or near the very top of rankings for classification societies and other agencies in terms of safety performance. Now, I've often heard the fact that there's not been a sinking of a U.S. flag ship as deadly as El Faro's in decades is evidence that the U.S. has an excellent safety record, and that may be true. But shipping casualty investigations are not a moment to rest on laurels. They're a time to learn what can be done better. And that's what brings us to the deficiencies that were found on El Yunque, a nearly identical ship operated by the same company on the same route, which had been inspected months before. More deficiencies were found on El Yunque after October 2015 than in the previous five years, according to a U.S. Coast Guard inspection database. In addition to what they called severe maintenance shortfalls, Coast Guard inspectors identified 15 other deficiencies, including many involving stability calculations and changes to the ship that may have impacted stability. Many of the deficiencies have been taken care of, but others involving stability are not yet listed as resolved in the U.S. Coast Guard database, while the ship remains in layup near Seattle, where Tote plans to eventually use it in the Alaska trade. Tote, which is a subsidiary of Seattle-based conglomerate Solchuk, told Tradewinds that it maintains its ships in accordance with ABS and Coast Guard requirements, and it takes appropriate action to correct issues they encounter. Stability concerns have been a key area of focus in the investigations into El Faro sinking. The NTSB has a group dedicated to stability questions, after all. On El Yunque, after the sinking, the Coast Guard ordered new documentation for stability calculations. The agency also ordered TOTE to perform new stability tests because of questions about changes that have been made to the ship since 1990, its last baseline stability evaluation. TOTE was ordered to remove fructose tanks that had been added to the ship or carry out new stability analysis. El Faro had the same fructose tanks added, but this was not brought to the attention of ABS's stability group or the U.S. Coast Guard, witnesses have testified. Captain Bill Doherty is a ship inspector who was a former captain of roll-on, roll-off vessels, or row-rows like El Faro. Cargo on these ships includes rolling stock-like vehicles. He also worked as a safety manager for Norwegian Cruise Line, and he teaches safety at Massachusetts Maritime Academy. He says stability calculations are a serious matter on row rows. Particularly on a row row with respect not only to the metacentric height, you know, the center of gravity, but, but also with respect to the roll, what we call the rolling period. Um, roll on roll off ships have a lot of what we call, naturally, we have rolling stock trucks, cars, wheeled vehicles, which are by nature difficult to secure. And 
the rolling period, a, a snap roll, a quick rolling period, it has a tendency to jeopardize the integrity of the securing of roll-on, roll-off cargo. And once that cargo, once one, it, it's, it's a um, cascading effect. Once one piece of roll-on, roll-on cargo breaks loose, it'll crash into the next one, crash into the next one. Now what you have is a whole cargo deck of rolling stock continually changing the center of gravity of the ship, you know, almost the same as like with water, we call a free surface and flooding. And those fructose tanks? A ship owner has to make sure that adding those tanks doesn't hurt stability, Doherty says. The string of deficiencies after such a high-profile incident raises a key question. Are there important safety shortfalls that go missed under the safety regime governing El Faro? Doherty says he has a complete lack of confidence in the alternate compliance program, particularly as it applies to Jones Act ships, those like El Faro, that sail in domestic trades and are built in more expensive U.S. yards, and therefore tend to have a much longer operating lifespan. He sees a few problems that have also been raised by several safety experts I've spoken to. One is that so much of the Coast Guard's authority is delegated, even with vessels of El Faro's age. It was 40 years old when it went down. The uh, alternative compliance program is a perfect world scenario based on starting with brand new ships and getting a clean slate. When you, when you bring that program into a 40-year, 35, 40-year-old ship, um, you, you don't even have the foundation. And the second problem is what many call the inherent conflict of interest of a classification society, having the government's authority to inspect a ship when that classification society is also paid by the ship owner. Ship owners, critics say, can shop around for a classification society. The, the alternative compliance program basically shifts the, the hands-on responsibility for inspecting a ship from the U.S. Coast Guard, which is a government entity, regulatory agency, to the American Bureau of Shipping, a very respected organization, but 100% funded by the ship owners who choose to class their vessels with the American Bureau of Shipping. The discovery of severe maintenance shortfalls on El Yunque, Doherty says, happened when an interested party is responsible for safety management audits. And while other flag states also delegate to classification societies and other organizations authorized to inspect ships on their behalf, since Jones Act ships tend to travel only to U.S. ports, they're not subject to the port state control inspections carried out by other countries around the world. Doherty bristles at the fact that the U.S. Coast Guard appears to have become concerned with stability calculations, which is described as a serious deficiency, only after 33 people died on El Faro. What is needed, he said, is a more proactive approach. The investigation into El Faro's sinking will result in a report that may include recommendations to adjust the inspection regime. A Coast Guard spokesman told me that the agency is monitoring the investigation to determine if any immediate safety changes are needed, and it will closely review the final report. In investigative hearings, the Coast Guard's Hannon defended the alternate compliance program, saying that the level of oversight over the classification society is appropriate. It is always a balancing act between uh, allowing individual companies the freedom to take responsibility for the maintenance of their vessels and the verification of whether or not they do. So we are, we are constantly evaluating 
the mix between our oversight program and the delegations that we give. I think that the United States has achieved a good mix and having participated in the creation of the International Code for recognized organizations uh, and having been really one of the primary drafters of that document, you know, we tried to incorporate into that program that reflected the program of the United States. So I would like to think that our program has become really the international standard for what's an appropriate level of oversight. The Coast Guard official said he believes the ACP does achieve an equivalent level of safety compared to ships that are not in the program and that undergo fully-fledged Coast Guard inspections. Hannon, who's also on the advisory board to the International Association of Classification Societies, or IACS, dismissed concerns about the fact that the owner pays the Classification Society for its inspections. With oversight by the Coast Guard, the fact that the owner pays the society, you know, that it appears on the face of it to create a situation where you could go shopping for class societies, if you will, you know, play one off against the other. But my observation has actually been that IACS has been a very healthy force in that regard. Uh, they have a lot of rules now for transfer of class that make it very difficult to just sort of jump from one to the other without having to rectify the deficiencies that you had under the previous society. So we look at that very carefully. Uh, and as, as a member of the IACS uh, advisory committee, I certainly look at it very carefully. And I look at it extremely carefully when we do the observation of their quality. But Hannon's review of the program was more glowing than that of Captain John Mogger, head of the Coast Guard's Marine Safety Center. The center is responsible for verification of a ship's compliance with regulation by reviewing plans for repair, design, construction, and alteration for ships in the ACP program. Mogger told investigators that gaps remain in the program. Reviews by the Marine Safety Center found that in 2004, for example, the Coast Guard checked 5% of plans carried out by classification societies on behalf of the U.S. Coast Guard, and 38% of those had some discrepancy. And the center has still not met the Coast Guard's own goal of checking 10% of the plans submitted by classification societies. Now, it's worth noting that it's quite common for flag states to delegate their inspection authority to classification societies like ABS, and even the shipping flags with the best safety records do that. Clay Maitland is a managing partner at International Registries, the U.S. company that manages the shipping flag of the Marshall Islands, which is the world's third largest fleet. Full disclosure, he also runs the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition, which sponsored this podcast, though that's not why I talked to him about this topic. To be clear, most of our inspection is done through classification societies, but we recognize that classification societies compete against one another very vigorously for business. We recognize that their fees are not paid by us. The fee is paid by the ship owner. And therefore, that, the, that there is inherently, let's call it what it is, a conflict of interest in the, in the, in the way in which ROs, recognized organizations, to use the term under Marpol and Solas, the conventions, they are recognized by us to act for us, but we oversee the work of the class societies with great stringency. 
So what do other flag states do differently? Again, part of this comes back to age. Many flag states that lead rankings for their safety records have improved their record, in part by putting limits on vessel age. That's particularly true for flags that are known as open registries, flags in countries where ship owners from around the world register their ships to trade in international markets. We, as a matter of policy, do not accept ships over a certain age. Now, that age is not a specific number. It depends on the ship. It depends on the type of ship. Uh, but generally speaking, any ship over 12 years of age is going to have a very great difficulty getting registered in the Marshall Islands. Why? Because we consider age to be a factor of condition. Uh, it is likely that a, that a ship that old is going to develop structural defects over time, which may or may not be remedied by the owner or manager. But if you think about it, the U.S. flag is in a very different situation. When an open registry rejects a ship, it's not like it stops trading. It goes to another flag, albeit one with a lower safety record. U.S. flag ships fly the flag because they're involved in domestic shipping so they're not going anywhere until they reach the end of their lifespan. Maitland said he expects the U.S. Coast Guard will be taking a closer look at older Jones Act ships once the investigation into El Faro sinking is complete, but how far that goes will depend on resources. One thing that emerged in investigations was the potential role of budget restraints on the Coast Guard. Officials told investigators in the El Faro case that one challenge for the Puerto Rico inspectors was the lack of funding to send inspectors for some training required for the certifications. That's what stopped one inspector who checked El Faro from completing his certification for steam propulsion, though he had ample experience in steam. The Coast Guard is an agency with vast responsibilities, ranging from protecting the U.S. from terrorists to protecting marine life. It's really time now to take a close look at, at how... The U.S. Coast Guard vets the U.S. flag deep sea blue water merchant marine. When you're getting a ship that operates like, like El Faro, um, there's got to be more hands-on. But that presupposes that the Congress of the United States is going to give the Coast Guard and other agencies the budgets they need to do the job. It's a question of safety. The money has to be there. And if it isn't there, there's got to be a better way of taxing the industry so that, the, the, that we can fund this kind of thing. In Maitland's ideal world, the U.S. flag would bite the bullet and accept that there should be an age limit for ships. We're in the 21st century. The level of tolerance for an El Faro is zero. You know, even if some people had survived, the government cannot afford, and ABS cannot afford, to simply look the other way. I think we've got to say, okay guys, standards are going to change whether you like it or not, and they're going to change now. Now, the U.S. Coast Guard does keep a list of ships that require extra government oversight of classification society inspections, including checks every six months instead of just the annual survey. And El Faro was scheduled to join that list. But that didn't happen. The day that it was poised to be considered a targeted ship subject to those further inspections was October 1st, 2015, the very day that the ship sank. 
There are indications that there may have been a missed opportunity to put the ship on this list of targeted vessels at an earlier date. Each ship in the ACP program receives points based on deficiencies, detentions, casualties, and age. And El Faro should have received more points for two earlier incidents, but a data delay prevented them from being included in the matrix that decides when ships are placed on this list. Brian Starrer, the Squire Patton Boggs lawyer that handles casualty lawsuits, said he has been pointing out weaknesses in the ACP inspection program for decades since it was started. And to be fair, I should point out that he's also sued ABS in major cases. He says handing so much of the inspection responsibility to a classification society surveyor eliminates what he calls balances and cross-checks of the three-pronged inspection regime that includes flag state and port state control inspections. This particular program, I think, was flawed from the beginning because the, uh, once, you, once you started on this alternative compliance program, you had really just that single classification organization looking at all aspects of the, of the ship, both from an international statutory standards and from a classification standard point and some additional supplemental points that, that, were, that were added. And it's almost an, almost an, impossible, almost an impossible task to, to, to do that properly. And uh, what it also would require, because you you know it's a difficult task, and the U.S. Coast Guard knew it was a difficult task. Uh, you you needed a you needed the ability to do random checking and so forth. And my understanding is that the program uh, was flawed from the beginning because the random checking that the Coast Guard uh, was supposed to be doing uh, did not always take place. So uh, it. It caused, it caused problems right, right from the beginning. What he says is needed are more sets of eyes. One idea is for the organization that carries out the classification surveys to be different from the one that carries out the statutory inspection on behalf of the Coast Guard. You could have one classification society doing the classwork and another classification society doing the, uh, if you will, the ACP work. The, uh, the statutory work. I think that that, that, would, that would work. So in other words, an example would be you'd have ABS doing, uh, doing the classing of the vessel and you could have DNV doing the, doing the statutory parts of it. That again, in my view, would give you, would give you two sets of eyes and a, and, a, and, a, and a better safety net than just one organization uh, doing everything. That's the problem here with the El Faro. If I had my druthers, I, I would like to see, uh, I would like to see the state uh, have, a, have its own inspection system and organization, whether they contract that in or not, and that that organization, uh, if, it's a if it's a contracted in organization, always be different than the classification society classing the, classing the vessel. So you've got some type of check and balance uh, relating, relating to those two, those two critical aspects of ship safety and seaworthiness. In the end, 
Investigations by the U.S. Coast Guard and the National Transportation Safety Board have a way to go before determining whether inspections played any role in the casualty. But it's safe to say at this stage, there must be some room for improvement in the U.S. inspection regime. But at this time of great change in Washington, who knows what improvements will be funded? At least it's the stated goal of the twin investigations to find ways to improve safety for the men and women out at sea on U.S. flag ships to prevent a similar incident from happening again. Now that so much new information is available about the sinking of El Faro, our podcast will now turn to the story of El Faro's final journey. That's next up on The Sunken Lighthouse. The Sunken Lighthouse was brought to you by the sponsorship of the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition. This podcast is a production of Tradewinds, which is part of the NHST Media Group. Visit our website at tradewindsnews.com. This program was produced and reported by me, Eric Martin. A reminder, check out another podcast by the NHST Media Group. Our colleagues at Upstream are putting out The Bit, which focuses on the oil and gas industry. The songs Thread of Chords by Blue Dot Sessions, Siesta by Jazzar, High Valley Hometown, Wanna Joe Carson and Mountain Creek by Lobo Loco, Rainy Sun by The Owl, and Tommy's Bubbles by Candle Gravity come from the free music archive on a Creative Commons license. Thanks to these providers for offering up their great music for free, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>